Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Sunday, January 5th, 2020. So, happy belated New Year's, Drew. Uh, did you and Katie do anything fun on December 31st? Yeah, I mean, we just had a low-key New Year's Eve watching the bizarre CNN um, stuff on mute with, with Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen, which had, you know... Uh, Lindsay Lohan beaming in from Jordan and all sorts of weird stuff. Did you watch any of that? And I saw the the after the fact thing with Rachel Drage from uh, Saturday Night Live. Did oh, as evident- Barbara Walters, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that Nancy went to bed at ten thirty, and I made it all the way to eleven fifteen. <laughs> you know, that stayed up long enough to call my daughter in LA, and then it's just sort of like. Eh. I don't and know. I'm out. Just, <laughs> I, look, I'm 60 years old. I, when I watch Dick Clark's, you know, rocking New Year's Eve or whatever it is that's going on on ABC with, with Ryan. Ryan Seacrest, yeah. Yeah, and it's just one of these things where it's like it becomes this endless festival of, well, who's that? I don't know who this is. And, you know, yeah. what's this song? I, you know, just it makes me feel more and more out of touch. So it's just sort of like, I'm going to bed. Well, at least you weren't at the theme parks because it seemed like they were so. And in- we renewed our passes on the thirtieth, and mm-hmm. it was insane how crowded it was that weekend. I mean, did you physically go down to the park to renew? Yeah, you have to. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, yeah, it was a lot. But but we did the new Star Tours um, rides, which were very cool. Oh, um, good there's idea. two new. There's two new scenes connected to Rise of Skywalker. Um, Mm -hmm. but it also felt a little bit like, oh, this is the last update they're going to do because when you pulled back into the station at the end, it was a new scene and, um, Ace, the Mm -hmm. pilot that C-3PO unwittingly replaced actually comes out of the hangar and says, where were you? You know, I've actually, I've seen the, the, again, there's a couple of bootlegs online. Yeah. I love that animation. Isn't that cool? yeah, to determinedly walking toward the Star Speeder yeah. 1000. Again, off scene, she's going to pound the crap out of C3. Right, but, right. But it, uh, it did feel like, oh, okay, this is sort of like the this is like the last update they're ever going to do. Which is kind of a shame because I, I really wish they would go to Scarif, the beach planet from uh, from Rogue One. I think that would have been a cool destination. But I agree. I agree. But I mean this in a very polite way. Because in theory, you know, uh, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run is, is basically sort of what the, the the next generation of Star Tours. Only you know, now it's you're flying the vehicle. You now it's hands on, and I just didn't find it as entertaining as I found in virtually every other iteration of Star Tours. Yeah, I, mean, I Star, agree. You know, Star Tours has been entertaining since the. You know, the very first passenger climbed on board that thing in, in January of 87. And, you know, Millennium Falcon. I, I, I was especially just talking with a friend about who'd done the, the engineer position and just ranted and raved about how I'm facing away from the screen. I'm mm-hmm. literally not being, you know, I'm, I'm not watching what's going on. Right. Who designed this cabin? Right. Uh, so, eh, I yeah. don't know. Uh, good. It's a miss, but, you know, they'll be yeah. fine. No, I get it. It, it. In theory, at some point, you know, further on down the line, much like with Star Tours, they'll, they'll retool the ride film and maybe take a look at the cabin setups and all that. But 
We are talking about everything except animation. Well, and there's animation in both of those, but yeah. Well, all right. I, I, I get that. I do. Yeah. I do. But I guess we should get started uh, with Spies in Disguise, which opened in theaters on Christmas Day. And as of Friday, January 3rd, the film has grossed, what, $40.2 million, uh, worth of tickets first 10 days in, of release in, in North America. It's so... I, I honestly don't know what to make of this, Drew. Yeah. Uh, face it, it's kind of all over the map. If you go by, for example, what Rotten Tomatoes says, where it's got a 74% freshness rating and what a 91% audience score, you know, that, that, that seems reasonably successful. And yet, if you, you make the comparison between say, how the last Blue Sky movie did, uh, Ferdinand, back in 2017. Uh, its opening weekend, the first three days it was in theaters, it sold $13.4 million worth of tickets, whereas uh, this latest Blue Sky only sold 13.2. Um, yeah, and I think it gets a little worse overseas, too, um, <laughs> where it looks like this is going to be the lowest grossing Blue Sky movie ever. Um but uh, but at the same time, okay, um, think about it. Uh, Netflix is out there crowing right now about the fact that uh, Klaus, uh, the Sergio Pablo's hand-drawn film, they're saying that that's an enormous success because they've had over 30 million subscribers you know, download that movie off of the subscription streaming service. So it's like, I really feel like we're... At this moment, uh, especially when it comes to animation, where it's like, we really have to adjust our metrics, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, like, what's a success? Take, for example, Frozen 2. Like, if you look at the box office, you know, Frozen 2 really is kind of in a dead heat right now with the way the original Frozen did at the box office back in the late 2013, early 2014. And in fact, if you take the, the $42 million in domestic tickets, for example, that, that Frozen 2 has sold so far, and it's actually, if you take the number that, that like, for example, the original Frozen did back in 2013, 2014, it did $400.7 million. And But if you adjust for, for inflation... Uh, it's literally the same number, Drew. I just did this before we started the show. It's it's four hundred and forty-two million dollars. So they're in at this dead heat. But I then had this fascinating conversation with with a friend who works on the consumer product side uh, of Disney, and they're they're horrified. It, you know, evidently the Frozen Two merch just is not selling nearly as well as the original Frozen merch did. And there are all of these theories about, you know, why it is. You know, some people are saying it's because the story of Frozen 2 is so dark. Uh, other folks are saying that it's, you know, the fact that they put it out in the same window as Rise of Skywalker. You know, they're, they're competing with another giant merch program. You know, and again, that's the thing What's fascinating about Disney is like when you talk Disney and feature animation, it's never just... The movie, it's like, well, how is it doing in the park? How is it doing merch-wise? I mean, there's so many different ways that they measure success. Well, I just got an alert from Variety, which is now, it is crowing that Frozen 2 is now the highest-grossing animated movie ever. See? Now, that's that just fascinates me. Yeah. 
Sequel has generated $1.325 billion at the global box office, pushing past Frozen and Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. Although John Favreau's remake of The Lion King is entirely <laughs> computer-generated and earned $1.65 billion, <sighs> Disney Jeez. considers it a live-action reboot rather than an animated film. <sighs> so... Uh- so, dude, swinging back to the metrics, if if Disney itself isn't saying that that's an animated film, well, how can we use that to measure or, or to dispute the fact that it's like, okay, you know, what is it, 1.35 billion worldwide, so Frozen 2, highest grossing animated film? <sighs> I yeah, don't know. it's interesting. And, you know, that you bring up the Klaus thing, and I wonder... If they had just put Spies in the Skies on Disney Plus and X number of families watched it, mm-hmm. if they would consider that more of a success. Because unlike Frozen 2 and Star Wars, there is no merchandise campaign at, at all, as far as I can see. Um, the marketing was pretty weird and kind of uneven. There's a really awful billboard right near our apartment where it's like a pigeon is at the top of the billboard and then the shadow is Will the Will Smith character, but it's not like the Will Smith character is this iconic shape or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just a shadow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 interesting. Well, and, and let's be honest here. This would probably be more of a story if cats hadn't imploded. Oh, Jesus. I saw it, Jim. Yes, yes. But again, I, I want you to, once again, tell the story about you talked with with Tom Hooper, right? And about how what literally before the premiere, you know. What, oh no, he I saw a red carpet interview where he said we finished it this morning, <sighs> but I went that opening weekend, and yeah. so I saw the version with Judy Dench's hands, <laughs> <laughs> and the guy in the sweatshirt in the background. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was bad. It was really well, bad. But but here's the thing. If you talk with anybody at Universal about this, and and, and more to the point, if you understand the history, I mean, you and I have talked previously about uh, the version of Cats that Amblin tried to make during the They still have a production credit on this one. Well, as they should. I mean, there was so much work done. In fact, I don't know, anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you, you Google Cats Amblin 1990s, you're going to get to see some amazing yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, you know, uh, concept art. And in fact, more to the point, uh, they actually had a really interesting conceit. They deliberately set the story of the film during the Blitz uh, in London during World War II. And in a weird sort of way, it really raised the stakes of the story. Because face it, every night the Luftwaffe was flying over London and bombing the city. And so what cat that's you know living under those sort of conditions wouldn't be trying for a better life, wouldn't, you know, want their shot at, you know, making the trip to the heavy side layer. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I guess there was, the, there was this split between Andrew Lloyd Webber and the Amblin folks because the Broadway musical that this thing is, uh, you know, movie is based on is based on the T.S. Eliot book. It's And it's just basically this collection of poems, and that's pretty much the way the Broadway show is done as well. I mean, it's just sort of, okay, this cat, you know, does its right. number, the, this cat does its number. And and I guess the <laughs> the argument, and it's hard to fault Lloyd Webber for making this argument, but it's like, look, <laughs> you know, Cats was the, what is it, the, the fourth longest running show in Broadway history. It was the sixth 
longest-running show in West End history. If every person who went to go see either the show in London, uh, New York or, or London uh, bought a ticket to the movie, they'd have a smash hit. To, to his way of thinking, it made sense that the movie reflect as much as possible the Broadway show. So that's the whole conceit of you know, you're looking at what is it? Judy Dench was Mistopheles? The, 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 yeah, uh, she was Old Deuteronomy. Old Deuteronomy. Yeah. There, there we go. Uh, so on paper, yeah, I get that. I get why they went the way they did. And more to the point, you look at you know you look at all of the celebrities, all the the, the big names that are in this film, and yet you look at the box office. To what is it? A deadline was reporting earlier this week that they're projecting that Universal will take a seventy-one million dollar write down on this thing because it's just it, that's how poorly it's performing. Well, there's um, been a lot of. If you go on the visual effects uh, boards on Reddit, there's a lot of mm-hmm. people who worked on Cats who are talking about it. And I guess they didn't shoot the movie with performance capture markers or costumes. Oh. It was all – they all just digitized it by hand. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so it it, it just was – it seemed like Cooper just sort of winging it and – they say that explains why the scale is so inconsistent. Like the cats mm-hmm. will be like seemingly two inches tall and then they'll be three feet tall in the next scene. I mean, there is literally no sense of scale. And I cannot even believe that this show was on Broadway for so long because the songs are so horrible. <laughs> and yet, but yet very catchy, I will say. <laughs> you know. Oh, good. <laughs> Good recovery, Drew. Yes, Good recovery. Yeah, you know, I made my jellical <laughs> choice, Jim, and it is that I will never, ever see this show on Broadway. But, okay. you know, they also seem to sort of take, to by making it a PG, we were watching, yeah, this is another thing we were doing on New Year's Eve, was watching old videos of the actual performances. And, you know, they're sort of su- more suggestive, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is something a little bit sexier about somebody in a leotard than a... Mm-hmm. CGI fursuit, although for some reason Idris Elba has abs uh, in the movie, so <laughs> explain that one to me, Jim. Um, but it's also That's amazing a, to... A very well-written you know, contract. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would put in my contract. Must have abs. But you know, you it's really interesting to think that, the, that it, it was supposed to be Wicked that was out this year. Oh, it's so funny you bring that up, because think about it. You know, Mark Webb, well, first of all, again, important to stress here, Universal actually produced Wicked on Broadway. And they have, you know, Mark Webb has, you know, had an office on the Universal lot for years because he's the guy who's supposed to be bringing the Wicked movie to theaters. And back in February of 2019, they finally announced uh, a release date for the Wicked movie. It was uh, supposed to be out in 2021. What's absolutely fascinated me is that it was basically what Universal was going to send up against Avatar 2. Mm-hmm. And now, from from what I hear, that's at a full stop at Universal. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they honestly believe that the Wicked movie will be a smash hit. But at this point, it's like, how did we miscalculate so badly on cats, and it's until we figured that out, it's like I don't. They don't want to proceed with uh, production of of, of Wicked. Oh, know, interesting. To, you know, just to, to the effect of I, I want to be confident going forward that you know we're not going to have another what should have been a smash hit property misfire. 
Yeah, um, and you don't so, want, you don't want people going. Why would we want to see Wicked? Did you see what they did with cats? No, that is the it, worst thing that could happen. Yeah, that's it exactly. And but though conversely though, I I want to talk for a moment about. Uh, did you see where Cameron earlier this month in, in an interview with USA Today was talking about how he he fully anticipates that when Avatar 2 arrives in theaters, how it will outgross Avengers Endgame? I um, did see that. This is after Terminator Dark Fate comes out and misfires as badly as it did. I mean, think about it. Back in October, again, there was that whole full court press about James Cameron is back producing Terminator and Schwarzenegger is back and Linda Hamilton. And we're completely ignoring, you know, all of the previous, you know, sequels. This is, you know, we're writing the ship and this is the first film of a new trilogy. And what is it? It's only made $261 million worldwide and... And stateside movie cost 185 million to make, and it's only made 200 or no 62 million dollars. I'm sorry if I were Disney and and you know looking at how much of a commitment they've made so far to the the Avatar movies. What is it? Three sequels coming? Yeah, I think they've uh, shot the first two or shot elements of the first two already. And then they're taking a break and going back for the. I don't know. It, I don't know. I, I really like Dark Fate. Actually, I, I I actually would would put Dark Fate above Rise of Skywalker. That's how much I liked it. But really, yeah. Okay. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, what I've learned is to never discount Cameron or never never count him out because just mm-hmm. when you just when you do, that's when he comes back and and blows everything out of the water. So I don't know, mm-hmm. Drew. You're not wrong. I mean, you know, I I remember. What is it? This the summer of ninety seven, where was it? You know, Paramount that you know was so nervous about Twentieth Century Fox that they brought in what was it? Fox to handle Titanic internationally. Yeah. And every day there was a story in the trades about it's over budget. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a it's a nightmare shoot. You know, who will go to see this movie? And it becomes a a smash hit to end all smash hits. So I, I guess all right again. I'll I'll defer to your judgment here. Well, you know, what's interesting is that Fox distributed Terminator Dark Fate overseas, too. So you had Disney dealing with them, that movie. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, So, yeah, very interesting. uh, Okay. Well, all right. To pivot quickly to television here. We've been talking about this show for, for months now, but Owl House finally debuts this week, Friday, January 10th. On the Disney Channel, and I, I know this is kind of the norm these days that you know you get that you know a second season renewal before the show actually airs. But at the same time, it is kind of a vote of confidence that on Disney's part that they you know before this Dana Terrace thing really hits that they're out you know already locking in season two. Yeah, um, it's going to be a good week for TV. You know, the uh, Infinity Train comes back this week too. Does it really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. New characters well. on the train. So that'll be interesting. Okay. Um, uh, another right. five uh, night events type situation. So, yeah. Okay. As soon as we finish here, I will go DVR that. <laughs> um, okay. And the other big news, uh, the Pendleton Ward story is, is in a weird way kind of a personal one for you. Um, yeah. So yeah. what do you make of this, this new show for Netflix? Midnight Gospel. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. Have you listened to the, so it's based on a podcast, which mm-hmm. I never have listened. Have you listened to it, or has Alice listened to no, it? No, no. After I DVR, you know, they see, you know, the, the the train thing. I will go out and seek an episode of this. But I, I have to admit that the the premise here, the the what is it, the malfunctioning multiverse simulator that travels to dying worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of an intriguing hook for an ongoing show. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Yeah, it's interesting to, to hear that Penn is doing a new show, too, because he felt very overwhelmed by Adventure Time. And I mm-hmm. think there's like a Bravest Warrior show that he's working on, too, for HBO Max. And then there's and... the Adventure Time miniseries, right? The thing about islands or whatever. And somewhere in the mixer is Catbug. Um... Yes, yes. Well, again, more power to him, and given his style of storytelling and, and that sort of thing, I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to this, but it's that's a lot of stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, between this and Earth to Ned, we're getting a lot of, uh, a lot of intergalactic talk shows coming soon. <laughs> that's right. The Henson, that Henson? Yeah, Henson for, for Disney Plus. To Disney Plus. Yeah. So. Which I've heard is very cute, by the way. So. And, you know, while we're talking about Disney+, Plus, aren't we about to get our last Ask Forky or... Forky yeah, Ask have you been question? watching these, Jim? I, I have to admit, I've really been enjoying the whole left-handed aspect of these things. They, you know, they, they never come straight at any no. topic. In fact, you were the one talking up the... Uh, the one with Bill Brooks, Carl Reiner, and Carol yes. Burnett. Yeah, the What is Love. <laughs> is it, wasn't that one great? <laughs> the one was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, this particularly enjoyed you know, what uh, Carl Rhino. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I've always enjoyed what Bob Peterson does over at Pixar. In fact, there's a part of me that still wishes that his take on... Uh, the good dinosaur had, had yeah. managed to make it all the way out the door, but for some reason, fun. last last night I fell into a good dinosaur hole, looking up in early images and comparing those to the you know, there it was very different visually. Um, oh no, no, absolutely! How big absolutely. Arlo was, and he even mm-hmm. his face looked different, and Spot looked different, and yeah, yeah. I would love to see that version one day. Uh, well, if you put Disney Plus alongside. The the Disney Vault project, which I guess you know, you know, they did all of this research and all of this work on you know what they thought people would want when it came to Disney for a streaming service, mm-hmm. and the notion there was they they used Beauty and the Beast as the example, you know, the notion of okay, so you come to the Disney Vault, you have all of these options, you can watch plain old Beauty and the Beast from you know nineteen ninety one. Or you can watch, you know, the work in progress version that was shown at the New York Film Festival, what, like nine months before it opened? Yeah. Or or you can watch the version that was done for IMAX that was, you know, uh, features the Human Again number. Or you can watch, I I guess at that point they had recorded Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. I guess that somewhere sitting in a vault is, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, Disney had filmed that in, in much the same way that they... They filmed Newsies, and but you know the the notion is here are five different iterations plus you know all of the 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 Beauty and the Beast home premieres and to step away from that and to you know to sort of go with the Netflix model, um, yeah. yeah, you know. But on the other hand, you look at the, the number of people who've signed up 
for Disney's subscription streaming service so far, and it's, it's hard to fault that success. But, yeah. Uh, I would have loved to see all those versions in one place. Well, no, that's it exactly. And more to the point, you know, the notion of, you know, if you were able to go into whatever section of the vault had the good dinosaur and get to see, uh, you know, how far along the Bob Peterson version got. Oh, yeah. for that matter, you know, I would kill to see how many Kingdom of the Sun and, right. you know, how. Eh, Put the uh, sweat box on Disney Plus. Come on. There we go. No, that, that, that's exactly. You know, right. that, that, you know, the hard reality is that so many movies get started and don't necessarily, things don't necessarily go well during production and things will take a hard left. And, uh, you know, in fact, that's just this past week, we finally got a director for uh, Warner Brothers Coyote versus Acme, David Green, or yes. Dave Green is, and I, I wish this guy, you know, well, because... I can't help but think about Marvin the Martian back in July of 2008. I mean, they they got so far as they cast Mike Myers as the voice of Marvin. They signed, and I, I always loved this production detail about the Marvin the Martian movie where Christopher Lee was supposed to play Santa Claus. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you know, and this was time to be... Uh, the original was going to be released in October of, of 2011 and be sort of a Halloween holiday film. And, mm-hmm. and the notion was Marvin was going to do battle with Christopher Lee's Santa Claus over control of the holiday season. And um, it got so far as it's, you can actually go on YouTube right now and see the, the test for the CG Marvin who's uh, under the tree in a, a, in a, a Christmas package. A kid opens him up and then... Marvin sort of lays waste to the room. But Coyote versus Acme, this script has been around for a while. And everyone I've talked with, you know, just says, oh, my God, it's this amazing script. And Warner Brothers is never going to make it, you know, because it's just sort of like it's so hard to pull off. Yeah, well, I mean, and Dave Green has a really interesting history with Disney because remember he made that movie Echo that Disney ended up selling to Relativity and they renamed it Earth to Echo. It was like a little movie about these kids who um, befriended a kind of like sentient robot. It was kind of like an E.T. thing. Did you ever see this movie or hear about this? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay, so now this gets that much more complicated. Right, right. And I, I don't know, speaking of, of the Warner side of the fence, I don't know if you saw Drew McWeeney earlier this week. With I don't know if it, I, I want to say it was on Twitter. He was putting out that he'd gotten a hold of a copy of the script for Space Jam 2. And right. What is it exactly he said? That's like, yeah, it's pretty much what you'd expect of Space Jam 2. Right. So it, it was, you know, uh, damning with faint praise. Oh, 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 on the other hand, though, uh, did we talk about uh, the Eddie Murphy uh, interview? Um, um, I don't think re- so. Okay, especially in regard to Roger Rabbit. Oh, yes, we did talk about that last time. Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah. Okay, all right, because, I don't know, it just that one just fascinates me. You know, just, you know, and again, let's face it, you know, uh, you know, Eddie said no, and yet LeBron said yes, you know. and right. Here we are with Space Jam 2. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I, I really want, 
uh, based on what friends have told me about Coyote versus Acme, you know, the Coyote finally takes Acme to court because, of, you know, all these issues pursuing the Roadrunner, and it's because their equipment is faulty. And it's, right. it's, it's a courtroom drama. I really, really, really want to see this. Yeah. So. I'm looking forward to it. Should it, should it get made, Jim? But at the same time, it's it's will it get made? That so much these days. I mean, again, as we were just talking about, how they're stopping the brakes for Wicked because of what just happened with Cats and Space Jam. What is it? Space Jam is due out on July sixteenth, two thousand twenty-one. Long. That's a long way away. They've already filmed the, the whole thing. Yeah. Hopefully, they use motion tracking and. Um, yes, especially. <laughs> Unlike uh, cats. <laughs> well, speaking of cats, when we get back from our commercial break here, we Drew and I will wrap up our look back at Disney's Aristocats. And we're back. Drew, I have to ask, have you watched the Aristocats yet on Disney Plus? I haven't because I think Aristocats is sort of boring and bad, but I will <laughs> I will watch it. I mean, well, when it, I when it, I when I was a kid, it was all anybody ever said was, oh, that's just 101 Dalmatians with cats. And that was and kind of it, you know. They're not entirely wrong. Yeah. You know, but, but the interesting thing, supposedly if you watch it on Disney+, Plus, it, it has a disclaimer up front about, you know, this reflecting the, the age in which the film was produced. and uh, Which is a polite way of saying that there's, there's some fairly, <laughs> I mean, by today's standard, offensive ethnic stereotypes in the thing. Oh, really? Uh, you know, well, I mean, there's the sequence when O'Malley and Duchess uh, finally make it back to Paris and they, they crash at his his friend's house. And this is where Scat Cat... Let's see. I deliberately set this up so I could be able to reference the names of the cats. But <laughs> they have oh, Peppo. Crook, you mean the, Crookshanks or Old Deuteronomy <laughs> or... <laughs> No, we got oh, Peppo, okay. we got Hit Cat, uh, we got Sun Gong, and who, you know, and Billy Boss, who's the Russian cat. Okay, they're kind of you know easy, you know, easy stereotypes, and especially Paul Winchell's Siamese cat is just you know, her just does not play today. In fact, you know, if and when they redo this, they're they're obviously going to do what they just did with Lady and the Tramp with the two Siamese cats for that film. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. For me, when you look at Aristocats, you always have to sort of take a look at what was going on at the company at the time. And, and remember, you know, Walt died in December of 66, but he'd been working on Jungle Book just before he died. But in the same window of time, it was sort of, you know, the, the notion was, okay, Walt's going to work on Jungle Book. We're going to release Jungle Book, and then because the board has been asking for this forever, we're going to shut down feature animation. But the weird part is that when Walt, you know, Walt came back from his operation, he called Ken Anderson in and explained that they had this property called the Aristocats that they were originally thinking about making into a two-part episode of The Wonderful World of Color. And could he maybe look at it as potential for you know, an animated feature, you know, with the notion that even though Walt had sort of cut this deal with his brother who had then passed along to the board that don't worry, we're getting out of the animation business and we're just going to keep all this stuff in the vault that, you know, here was Walt very quietly getting another one set up. And then October of 67, Jungle Book comes out and it's this smash hit 
in theaters. And there's, uh, there's a number of folks who suggest that Walt dying, and coupled with the fact that the studio played up that this is the last animated film that Walt Disney worked on before he passed, um, really helped out with the box office. Uh, you know, and then suddenly Disney's board of directors realized that they're in this weird position that they have a hit film on their hands. Uh, and more to the point, shutting down feature animation while Walt Disney is alive. You know, Walt himself can step out and explain, you know, why they're doing this and that sort of thing. And that would have softened the blow. But to to shut down feature animation after Walt died you know, would dishonor his legacy and, and more to the point, make the company feel like it was stepping away from the way Walt himself ran the company. So they were actually, they suddenly, it's like, we can't do it now. We have to keep it going. And and then the, the funniest part of it is they, you know, we talked on the last show about how the, the Winnie the Pooh featurette, uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree came out in February of 66 and did so well. And so, you know, Walt sent an, actually sent a note to animation to the effect of, hey, let's, you know, in May of 66, hey, let's get another one of these going. And so come December of 68, uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Buster Dre comes out and it's shown in a, on a double bill with uh, the horse in a gray flannel suit. And it not only does so well at the box office, five months later, it wins the Academy Award for Best Animated, you know, Short Subject. And, and now, you know, Disney Studio is like, ah, oh, crap. You know, it's like, <laughs> now, we, now we can't shut it down. You know, right. we just won an Academy Award. And so, uh, you know, it's it's in July of 68 that, uh, you know, that, that Card Walker is literally out on a golf course with Ken Anderson. And he's like, we're going to have to probably get another movie ready to go after the Aristocats because now we're back in the animation business. And it was it was Ken. And again, to sort of circle back around to the whole ethnic stereotype cats, you know, in Scat Cats band, to give you some idea that Disney really was operating in its own bubble and kind of out of touch at this point. Ken made this elaborate pitch to the company about, well, you know, the film that we all enjoyed working on the most was Song of the South. So why don't we return to that world and that type of storytelling only? Why don't we take Robin Hood, which we, you know, we, we'd done as a live action film back in like 53. Why don't we do that as an animated teacher, only set it in the American South? And so he, he works up this, this set of storyboards where, for example, the Sheriff of Nottingham, Drew, I swear to God, this is true. He's a pig. All right. A couple of versions of it. He's a wild boar with, with, with tusks. But again, remember, this is the 1960s where it's, you know, kids are riding in the streets. One of the most offensive things you can do is call a policeman a pig. And it's just sort of like, right. but Ken thinks this is funny. So, <laughs> uh, so this is going on at the same time that, you know, that's in development while Aristocats is being animated. Uh, meanwhile, in kind of a, a weird follow-through on you know the way Walt was operating in the 1960s, the, the joke used to be that Walt cast by sitting at home watching television. Uh, you know, for example, the Dick Van Dyke Show starts on CBS in October of '61. I, I don't think Walt managed to see Dick when he was on Broadway in Bye Bye Birdie, but as soon as he saw this tall leading man who was great at physical comedy and could handle music. And it's like, there's my guy. There's, 
you know, I, I've been looking for Bert. You know, I, I mean, mind you, he was looking for Bert because <laughs> supposedly Cary Grant turned him down. Um, which I, that's, I got, how you go from I, Cary Grant to Dick Van Dyke, you know, well, I will never I, know, but well, you know, but again, I guess Cary Grant was, was the star in the version where, uh, Mary was going to be played by Betty Davis. So, um, just, just again, wow. He, yes. Yes. The, there were a lot of, a lot of different possibilities every time. Uh, but anyway, so the joke at, at Disney, at least in the 1960s was, other studios use Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. Disney used TV Guide. And seriously, if you look at the casting of the voice cast for Aristocats, you've got you know, Ava Gabor and Pat Bertram for Green Acres, you know, the, the voice of Duchess and the voice of Napoleon. You've got Nancy Culp from the, the Beverly Hillbillies. I, I want to say she was the voice of Fru-Fru the Horse. George Lindsay Goober from you know, the Andy Griffith Show. He voiced Lafayette. And... Uh, you know, and of course, you know, everybody knows the story about Disney going after, you know, in fact, they designed the character of Scat Cat uh, initially to be voiced by uh, Louis Armstrong. And, you know, Disney at that point had it had a really good, strong relationship with Armstrong. Uh, but I guess what happened is he filmed uh, his cameo in Hello, Dolly!, and just found it to be such a tough experience to be before the cameras. And and let's be honest here, Armstrong would eventually die in July of 71. So this, this was an older guy. And he just, you know, he, he came to Disney. He looked at the designs and he was flattered. But it's just like, you know, I, I don't think I have this in me to do this. Uh, so they wound up casting Scatman Carruthers in the role Instead, uh, but it was, you know, the, the whole time they were in production, it's like, oh, my God, we're going to get Phil Harris and Louis Armstrong to perform a musical number for this movie. And, you know, and that's all anybody's going to talk about. And in the end, um, you know, they, they realized they needed more star power. And it was uh, it was actually the Sherman brothers who the interesting thing is the Sherman brothers, as they were working on Aristocats and as what they were seeing going on at the studio, it's like. I don't know if we want to work at Disney anymore. They had enjoyed the hands-on personal you know, relationship with Walt and the execs that they left behind just were wonderful lieutenants, but not all that creative. So it was like the Shermans were like, okay, let's do this one last film and then let's strike out on our own. And But they were the ones who, when they wrote the title song for the Aristocats, uh, Maurice Chevalier had actually been retired for a couple of years at that point, but they... They reached out and just sort of rolled the dice and explained that, you know, you work with Walt Disney, you know, you had a long time relationship with the studio. And would you come back to record this one song? And uh, where uh, Louis Armstrong was, you know, said no, Chevalier said yes and, you know, came back and recorded the song. Anyway, for an animated feature that was produced under these sorts of conditions where, you know, again, a studio that was almost begrudgedly making a movie. Aristocats comes out December 24th, 1970, and Disney being Disney, they do the full court press. I mean, Scat Cats banned. I mean, the interesting thing is that for the first couple of years that the Aristocats was a thing, the only Aristocats that you saw in the park were people in walk-around suits playing members of the band. In fact, what the Disney on Parade arena show that went around 
in 72, you know, one of the big numbers of that sort of recreated, the everybody wants to be a cat number from the film and, you know, featured the band front and center. But these days, you know, if you see any mention of Aristocats in the parks, it's typically the daughter, Marie, Yes. That, you know, especially over in Japan. And in fact, I've talked with some folks uh, associated with Tokyo Disneyland. And supposedly Duffy the Bear was created largely because of how popular Marie was in the park and how much merch they'd move based on Marie. This whole notion of, wow, they really go for the cute characters. So Marie became sort of a... a a standalone character unto herself at the, the Tokyo parks. Likewise, Clarice uh, from the Chippendale shorts. I mean, she and she was only in like one short. Uh, really, but, but but she became a popular walk around character in the park, and you know, based on that response, that's where the whole Duffy and Sadie May and all of the you know. <laughs> Duffy has at this point, I think, thirty-five friends. You know, yes, <laughs> no, he has a lot of friends. He has friends. He has friends at Alani. He has friends everywhere. Jim, you you would be lucky to have so many friends. This is true. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, that, and for a time, uh, in fact, in the fine Drew Taylor tradition of when you're at a press event and you go to the restroom and then you get lost walking back to where the press event is being held. Right. Um, I was in the Frank Wells building. I want to say it's got to be 10 years ago, 15 years ago now, and was wandering around the pod where they were working on the Disney home premieres and got to see, you know, this, this giant board for the Aristocats 2, which basically featured the scene of Marie falling off of an ocean liner. Oh, I remember this this take on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was some sort of a jewel robbery on the boat. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, that Disney at one point was set to, you know, to sort of relaunch the Aristocats and get them out there again as an ongoing franchise. And I I guess that's still under discussion. Again, I think we, we talked on the earlier show. Uh, about how supposedly on the list of things that are being considered for Disney Plus is sort of doing the Arist- what they did just did with uh, Lady and the Tramp, doing that with the Aristocats. It's, so, you know, Jim, it does not surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're getting so low on the sort of classics to remake that they're going to have to do the Aristocats at some point. Or maybe, I don't know, Rescuers, Rescuers Down Under. I don't know, Jim. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't. I don't think that you're wrong there. But at the same time, I, I gotta say, I, oh, I, before I, I could forget here, you were such a big advocate of Togo. Yes. That just before the holidays, Nancy and I sat down, and oh my God, were you right about that? Did thing. you love it? I, I that, honestly, that may be my favorite Disney thing they've done in like five years. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's so wonderfully put together. And the two trips across the bay, across the ice, mm-hmm. I did think it was possible to get, you literally get two bites of the apple, you know, that, that sort of suspense sequence. But seriously, folks, if, if you're looking for a great evening's entertainment, you've got Disney Plus, you know, fire up Togo. It is. Did you, you know, weep? Did you weep? Oh, did you? I, you know, I couldn't make it through the ads. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I, I there's at least four or five moments in this thing where you you know you're you're just basically destroyed. Yeah, and you know, but but at the same time, they're not really ham handed about. No, it. not mean, at I, all, and it's not it's not manipulative or anything. And I think the emotional takeaway is much larger than any any one sad thing that happens in the movie. It's more about the relationship of this dog with Willem Dafoe. Oh, The placement of the dog in history, Mm -hmm. you know, and all that. And yeah, I I was just really, I was really blown away by it. It's one of my favorite things, you know. Oh, no, no, absolutely. And I'm so glad you recommended it because again, now my two, I I have had trouble recruiting other family members to watch this. I mean, after I watched it, I literally that night I'm talking with Alice and it's, oh, you, Togo, was amazing and it's just a, and she's like you're you're you want me to watch the sad dog movie <laughs> it's like, but it's, it's like, so exciting i mean the scene of with uh, willem dafoe reciting shakespeare as they're going over the ice is just one of it's just a, a transcendent moment and yeah i oh, really spe- speaking of which i i am hoping you know look we're in this weird space now where we are seeing like Netflix films getting recognized for awards and that sort of thing. And I, I, sadly, I think it's a little early for, you know, the Disney stuff to Disney plus stuff to get the recognition that it, it, it should get. But the sound design for the ice scenes with the, you know, I mean, again, I'm just sitting at home and, and, you know, watching this on our flat screen, but as the ice is cracking the sound that they're doing, you know, just, you're terrified just sitting there and, you know, for the characters, you know, as you're watching this. And then when they double up and they, they return over the same route, only it's so much scarier. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's a, a great, great, great movie. Yeah. And I just, I wish... Uh, it could get some pres- professional recognition for something like that for sound design. Yeah, I just wish that it played in theaters, quite frankly, because I saw it in a theater and, you know, trying oh, to, to cover your face while being surrounded by colleagues was very... <laughs> no, I just think, well, I, I mean, again, but it, same thing. I, I literally had to, for a couple of days, talk Nancy into it. She, she was like, no, I have to be in the right headspace to see the sad dog movie. Right. So, you know, we, we, we finally, you know, a Friday afternoon after we'd gotten a lot of our Christmas stuff done, it's like, okay, all right, I got my box of Kleenex, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, but Good, I'm I, glad you loved it, Jim. And But at the same time, it kind of kills me that Defoe really probably isn't going to get recognized for this. And he no. just did that that wonderful – what was the Orlando movie he, where he was the hotel owner? Oh, yeah, The Florida Project. Yeah. Yeah, that was wonderful. He was also in a great movie this year called – or last year at this point called The Lighthouse, which the is The Lighthouse, weird. yeah. 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 Um, that was great. But, yeah, I mean, he's just a – He's just consistently amazing in everything he does. And you just kind of have to, like, take it and, you know. My one regret is I talked to him for Togo and I did not br- bring up how much I love his Tars Tarkas performance in John Kennedy. Oh, yeah. 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 And and when you think about he did that amazing performance in a performance capture suit. Yes. You know, on on stilts. You know, yes. I mean, you know, that that's, that's amazing work. But yeah. But yeah, well, I, I, I guess when it comes to William Defoe, I, I kind of hope that at some point he ends up kind of where Brad Pitt is this year. That, you know, he seems, Brad Pitt seems to be the lock for best supporting actor for once upon a time in Hollywood. But if you talk with anybody, it's like, well, the reason, you know, he's the lock this year is we didn't give it to him for Moneyball, Right. So, you know, I, I kind of hope that 
uh, Willem gets, you know, the, the recognition he deserves. Because again, it's it just it's hard to describe why his performance in Togo is so amazing. But I don't, just you got to check it out, folks. It's yes, a wonderful, it's a brilliant, wonderful, wonderful. brilliant movie, and and so so great to watch. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of movies that are great to watch, last night again, just tr- you know, tooling around. And wound up getting sucked in for about ten or fifteen minutes into Mission Impossible Three. Okay, uh, you know, and it was the the warehouse rescue scene with with Carrie Russell. Yes, and- that was filmed like somewhere near Palm Springs. No, not, was it really? not yeah, it was yeah, yeah, um, wow. yeah. Okay. We've learned a lot about that sequence, maybe above all others in that movie. But um, yes, uh, we have some great new interviews coming out. I was just at the Top Gun 2 uh, offices the other day, which was oh. very cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, they signed us some heavy heavy NDAs uh, <laughs> there, even though I tried my damnedest to find out something. wasn't really anything to really talk about. But um, so, yeah, we've got some some great, great new interviews. We just finished the Paul Hirsch um, series again, Paul Hirsch Strikes Back. Uh, episode three just came out on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a lot of stuff in the hopper. I think, you know, 2020 is going to be good. We're going to be winding up for, for Top Gun 2, and, and we'll they're, they're going to start shooting 7 and 8. So, you know, Killer we'll, we'll be and there. Again, folks, yeah. And again, folks, that, that's on Drew's Light the Fuse podcast. It's heavily about the Mission Impossible franchise, so do check that out. Meanwhile, over at Jimmy Hill Media, we got Disney Dish with Lentesto. Marvel Us Disney with Aaron Adams, uh, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. Oh, we got Looking at Looks with Dan Z, Drew's good close personal friend. Well, uh, mortal enemy, more like, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> God. Okay. Again, you, you're writing something about Star Tours. Maybe, I'm just saying, maybe somebody who knows something about something. Yes. Uh, in fact, later this afternoon, I am actually recording a brand new I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. Oh, it's back. It's back. It's back. And we're, we're going to talk about what you should be doing with all them gift cards. Are you going to talk about the the new Chanel uh, Disney collaboration? Or Gucci. <laughs> Sorry, Gucci. Uh, did you see that stuff? I did not. But but, but again, <laughs> right after I DVR the train show and, and go well, listen gotta, to the you gotta, podcast. Well, you've got to look at the commercial because it was directed by Harmony Corinne. The director of Spring Breakers. Oh my God! I did see this. Yes, I did. Yeah. You know, in fact, it tells you so much about the Disney fan community. That what was it? At one point, they show the people on Small World, and one of them has a popsicle, and yes. it's like the fan community is like, well, you know, they would never allow food on Small. Well, anyway, I. Like I said, folks, till we get those shows out the door, uh, if you could do, do and I a favor here, if you get head over to iTunes and rate or recommend either Light the Fuse or Fine Tuning here. On the other hand, if you really, really, really like what you're listening to today, if you get head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. And I guess for now, that'll do it for Fine Tuning. So yes, but we have some bit. We're going to have some big announcements for 2020 and Fine Tuning. Yes, we will. Right? Yes, we will. So, so yeah. yeah, but. But so you have to come back to, to learn about those. But yeah. till then, thanks for listening. And on behalf of Mr. Taylor, we will see you soon.